Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. The Economist, for instance, did a front cover on the idea of decentralized finance and new forms of money. And as an experiment, they actually put their front cover into an NFT, auctioned it, and within a couple of days had raised more than $400,000. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of people creating NFTs at the moment. It's not just people. Some of them are even created by computer algorithm. And I would say the vast majority of those NFTs won't be worth anything at all. So you really have to be very careful about what you're what you're buying, just as, just as with any investment. NFTs have blown up over the last few years, and some of them have been getting a lot of media attention. You might have seen them in connection to digital art, pixelated cats, for example. And from this summer, the UK government is set to launch its very own range of NFTs. So today we'll be diving into the world of NFTs and crypto, discussing what the government's offering could look like and crucial advice for investors in the crypto world today on value, risk and first steps. And for this, we're joined by a brilliant expert our regular listeners may recognise. It's Gavin Brown, Associate Professor in Financial Technology from the University of Liverpool. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, Gavin. Yeah, good morning. Thanks very much for the invitation. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's brilliant to have you back on, Gavin. So can we start then with a quick introduction? And NFTs, they're often linked to digital images, cartoons even. There's the famous Bored Ape collection uh, listeners might have seen, but... With an NFT of one of these images, you don't own the copyright of that image. It can be shared online thousands of times. So, Gavin, what exactly do you own with an NFT? Yeah, that's um, I mean, that's certainly the, the, the biggest question in the NFT space. And, and really what you own is the, is the idea of the authenticity in terms of the original. Um, so mm-hmm. you can almost think of it akin to the fact that, you know, a famous piece of artwork, let's say, you know, Van Gogh with sunflowers or something similar, someone owns the original and other people will own the the, the copies or the replicas. Um, and that's similar in the NFT space. Everyone can sort of see the image and copy and paste it and use it potentially, but only one person can claim to have the rights and the ownership of the original piece of work. And this uniqueness of NFTs, how does that make them different to, to currencies of the crypto world, the likes of Bitcoin and Ethereum? Yeah, so I mean, Bitcoin and Ethereum are certainly the leading uh, cryptocurrencies, at least by total valuation. Um, And really, they're trying to be something else. Um, In Bitcoin's case, it's trying to be a a store of value or a a new type of money, if you will, an internet money, as it's often referred to. Um, Mm. Whereas Ethereum is a bit more than that. Ethereum is is a platform upon which other projects can run, as well as being a currency. But NFTs are are something different. Again, although they're digital in nature, and this is the the thing that's common, um, the thing that's different is that they are um, backed or represent some other form of digital assets. Now, that digital asset could be a piece of music. It could be a tweet. 
Uh, it could be the front cover of a magazine. Um, it could even be something physical in the real world. So this en- idea of an mm. NFT is a is a proof of ownership or authenticity on some other underlying asset. So we think about NFTs and cryptocurrency as something very different to the the regular money we exchange every day. Um, And a key part of this distinction is that it's not owned by a central bank, in our case, the Bank of England. So it's not government owned, but but the Chancellor Rishi Sunak is pushing for the government to use crypto technologies and has asked the Royal Mint to make a government-backed NFT by the summer. I mean, wow, where should we start with this, Gavin? Why is the Chancellor so keen for this? do you think? Yeah, and I, th- I think it uh, wow is the word. I mean, it, it, caught, it caught many people by surprise, um, including me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of it is signaling, first of all, the idea that, um, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a demonstration of a forward looking government who are, are keen to show that, you know, not only is financial services the most important industry to the UK in terms of GDP and employment, um, but also the fact that finance is changing and this country is willing to change with that. And I think there's a there's a lot of signaling going on there. Um, the second thing is, though, is that the, the Royal Mint has been doing this kind of thing for a long time now, not in the form of NFTs, but clearly the idea of authenticity, the idea of the ability to produce things, be they mm. notes or physical coins uh, with some level of endorsement. Um, means that this is just the same thing that's going on here, but just done in a in a sort of 21st century way using uh, NFTs as a platform. But I think the majority of it is probably signaling rather than a substantive change in our monetary system just yet. Well, in last week's episode, we actually took you behind the scenes of the Royal Mint. So do go back and have a listen if you haven't already. It's really, really fascinating stuff. So it's what makes all the pounds we have in our pocket, right, as, as well as many collectible coins. But NFTs produced by the Royal Mint, this is new and a very different ball game. What could these look like and how much could they be worth? Yeah, now that the, 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 the second question is perhaps the one that gets the most airtime. Um, mm. And there's some very famous cases of, of NFTs that have already happened. You're probably familiar with the Jack Dorsey NFT tweet that was yes. for charity. I think it was just under $3 million originally. And now the, the seller's looking to, to, to sell that on. Um, and it's widely uh, being reported to be you know, almost down sort of 90 plus percentage points mm. in terms of its value. So um, valuation is is fickle in the NFT space. And that's because most of this is around, you know, how much do you value that authenticity? Um, the Economist, for instance, did a, um, a front cover um, on the idea of decentralized finance and new forms of money. And as an experiment, they actually put their front cover into an NFT um, and auctioned it and within a couple of days had raised more than $400,000 as an auctional, auctionable value wow. on an image which is freely available for anyone to, to sort of search and find. So um, much of this is uncharted territory and many people who might mm. choose to, to sort of purchase such NFTs might be doing for collectible reasons. Um, but equally, they might be thinking, you know, this is the first part of a new movement of ownership and a new type of asset and to own the very first ones which are created will be something which might have um, a sort of appreciable value over the medium to long term. But I do caution and, and stress the word might. Um, much of this is still speculation and therefore, you know, buyers should always beware um, when evaluating such prospects. But I think the fact that it's coming from the Treasury and the Mint um, perhaps gives people a little mm. bit more surety than, than, than buying sort of tweets and, and YouTube videos which have been turned into NFTs. 
Well, we'll definitely come back to this huge question around value and risk uh, of NFTs in a moment. But while we're still on the government's kind of foray into crypto, can we talk about Britcoin? Because last year on the podcast, we heard from Tom Mutton, um, Director of Fintech at the Bank of England, about how they're exploring a new UK-issued digital currency. So where is the government at with this now? And how do you think this would land alongside Bitcoin and the rest of so-called decentralized cryptocurrencies? Yeah. Now, so what's being reported as Bitcoin, this is an example of what's called a CBDC, um, quite Mm -hmm. a mouthful, uh, but it stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. And um, a lot of people refer to it as a a crypto pound or something similar. Now, Mm -hmm. in context, um, 80% of central banks around the world have been surveyed and are reported to be researching and experimenting this for their own currencies. So think about this as a um, a government or central bank-led version of a cryptocurrency. The only key difference, or one of the major key differences, should I say, is that it's not decentralized. So whereas if you use Bitcoin, it's not controlled by a single country or company or person, um, a central bank digital currency like um uh, Bitcoin, which you mentioned, um, would be controlled by the, the nation state, would be controlled by the government or the Bank of England or both. And therefore, it is comparable and would sit and operate in parallel to our existing monetary system. Now, you might ask, well, what's the point? Why would we need one? Well, mm. one thing that the evolution and growth of cryptocurrencies has showed people is that there are advantages to using a new type of money or crypto assets, as they're often referred to. And many of these advantages can actually be used and incorporated into this new Bank of England um, Bitcoin, which is currently being developed and thought about. So it's almost a, a halfway house, a hybrid between our existing money and cryptocurrency. Um, it doesn't offer the same anonymity uh, as something like Bitcoin would, um, but equally does allow central banks to try and offer some defense against the threat from cryptocurrencies, which has gradually been creeping, um, especially since the pandemic and some of the impacts from that. Mm. So if we come back then to the value of crypto and NFTs, we've had pitiful saving interest rates now for years. But with inflation continuing to reach record highs, it currently sits at 7%. Crypto may well be turning the heads of investors now more than ever before. So before we talk about its risk, can you outline how the crypto market is doing at the moment and why it might seem like an attractive investment? Yeah, so let's take the second question first, which is a very academic thing to say, right? But let's let's turn it on its head. So um, hmm. um, why is it an attractive investment? Well, I think one of the things that people are looking for is, as you say, that, that, that protection against inflation or what's known as an inflationary hedge. Um, and I think when we look at that, one of the interesting hmm. things about many of the digital assets, let's take Bitcoin as the example, is that its supply is fixed. So unlike fiat currency, so our pounds and our dollars and our euros, et cetera, um, they are open-ended. The amount of quantitative easing, so the increase in the money supply that can take place is completely unlimited because we're no longer on the gold standard. And what that can do is it can debase your currency, which can actually cause you to lose money in or lose value in real terms. Cryptocurrency doesn't behave like that simply because it's not controlled by people. Instead of putting your faith in people and institutions, you're putting your faith in mathematical code. Um, And really, one of the reasons why some people are very attracted to Bitcoin is at the moment, there are just under 19 million Bitcoins in existence globally, and there will never be more than 21 million. So while the rest of the world continues to see inflation Mm. and quantitative easing happening more aggressively, 
um, the world of cryptocurrency remains a, a static force because it, it doesn't have that kind of ability to flex, um, at least amongst more traditional cryptocurrencies. So that's the reason why it's a, it's a, it's a particular interest. Um, the state of the market at the moment, I would say it's 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 past that um, sort of early stages of innovation and adoption. Mm-hmm. HMRC's latest estimates are that 2.4 million people in the UK have either owned or used cryptocurrency at some point. So that's not a small number, but it's equally, it's not a majority either. Um, And it is getting to the stage now where banks and individuals now need to have a position and a strategy when it comes to cryptocurrency. So definitely not mainstream, but beginning to creep ever further into the kind of um, uh, financial norms. Um, And this is Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why central banks and other institutions are having to react to that threat. And can we go back now then to the Jack Dorsey tweet you mentioned earlier and start talking about risk? Um, there was some really interesting news on it earlier this month. Um, he's, um, there was a man who tried to sell his NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet. He paid $2.9 million for it. But when he tried to sell it, uh, as The Guardian reported last Thursday, bids were only around $7,000 and they haven't gone up a huge amount since then. So what's gone wrong here for this investment? Why has its value seemingly completely gone? Yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, first of all, the the NFT market, um, because it was it went from being completely new to um, being very hot as a market, um, mm. and therefore attracting people like uh, Jack Dorsey to to sell his tweet, and I believe it was all sold for charity. So clearly, that first sale there was a couple of things unique to it. The first one is it was the first time it had ever been sold, um, so it was a primary offering, which gave it some cachet, you might say. Also, the seller mm. was Jack Dorsey himself, not necessarily some secondary buyer um, in the in the sort of secondary markets, if you like. Um, and the third thing was the funds were being completely given to charity. So um, all three of those things may have actually emboldened that initial price, um, not least the fact that it was done at a very um, uh, hot time for NFTs. What's changed since mm. is that Jack Dorsey isn't the seller, that all of the funds, as I understand them, are not being given to charity, just a proportion. Um, mm. And clearly this is um, being done when NFTs have started to suffer a little bit. We've seen many footballers and similar celebrities where their NFT values have suffered in the secondary markets as well. But um, it's not all bad news, actually, for when we see the price go down, because many of these NFTs will actually have what's called a clawback provision inside them of between 10 and 20 percent. Now, what that means is, is that every time the NFT is sold on, um, the original uh, producer or creator of that NFT, who is normally the artist or the celebrity, will actually receive a royalty fee in effect. So anywhere between, say, 10 and 20 percent coming back to them. And that normally is permanent. That exists for the duration of the life of that NFT, which typically will go on forever. So um, just because the market's suppressed doesn't mean to say the original seller isn't still making some money from that market. And of course, we're talking about the NFT market here. How does this level of risk compare with cryptocurrencies? I'd say both both are risky and both should be viewed with a significant amount of, um, what's the phrase, professional skepticism. Mm-hmm. Um, my accountancy training coming in well there. Um, <laughs> but I would say um, the, the NFT space probably um, more, more well, it's certainly newer um, and, and more unknowns. And also the the actual use case in terms of what you're buying. I mean, often people will say with crypto, you know, what am I buying here? What What is this currency, et cetera? But there are merits to the technology and many digital assets can do things which, 
you know, nothing else can. And therefore, there's a there's a reasonable value proposition. But in the NFT space, you really are putting your faith quite often into, um, you know, how much cachet do you associate with that area of authenticity, not least because it's a digital asset itself. So if you own the original and I own the and I have a copy because they're both digital assets, they're actually identical. Mm. Now, that's not true of a physical, let's say, a physical painting. You know, if you own the original um, screen picture and I own a copy, you know, um, very clearly there is differences in quality because mine is just a piece of paper, whereas yours is the yours has the actual brush strokes and the physicals, you know, sort of uh, canvas that the painting was painted onto. So there's a, there's a there's a there's a bigger difference there, and and that creates uncertainty and that creates risk, which in turn creates price volatility. So lots of unknowns, but still a still a very exciting space. Both NFTs and cryptocurrencies are unregulated. Can you explain why this makes them riskier investments? When the regulation is absent, or, or at least partial, as it is in some jurisdictions, um, that means you're not um, afforded the same protections as you are in a regulated market. So in a regulated market, if you're missold something or you have a complaint, um, you can raise things with here in the UK with the financial services ombudsman. You have a right of recourse. You can raise official complaints. Um, you can speak to a help desk. None of those things really work or happen in the same way in the digital asset space, at least not to the same degree. So if, for instance, you were using uh, and making cryptocurrency transactions and you made a mistake, there is no one to turn to. There is no real um, head office. There's no customer services division. Um, there is no financial services compensation scheme. There's no financial conduct authority. All of these institutions are typically um, absent and are deliberately absent from these particular spaces. So although there is money to be made and although it's incredibly interesting, um, it really is a, a space where people do need to do their homework. But in some ways, um, that's kind of the attraction as well. Um, often the community is built around these assets. People mm. really do enjoy keeping up to speed with, you know, the, the most recent events and trying to second guess and get ahead about of where the market might come next. So for, for what some people see as risk and uncertainty, other people see as an opportunity. And I guess it depends on your, your risk appetite. Could this be changing with the government's offering uh, NFTs potentially from this summer? Do you think regulation could be a thing to come quite soon? Yeah, I think I think it's um, certainly the, the the general direction, not just here in the UK but also globally, is one of regulatory creep, as we might describe it. So certainly moving into it, mm. but many people who might describe themselves as purists in the cryptocurrency space would actually say that true decentralized finance, decentralized assets. Mm. There is actually no space for regulation or any central authority, because by definition, any uh, organization which steps in to say, you know, this is you know, my area of control and we will decide what's approved and what isn't, etc., that naturally takes power away from people. It takes power away from individuals. And it's that power or, or sort of financial liberty, which things like Bitcoin give to individuals, which many people in the crypto space actually enjoy. That's the reason they're there in the first place. So um, it's a bit of a, um, a sort of immovable force meets an immovable object in some way. So it's going to be quite interesting mm. to see how that, that shakes out. And I suppose, could that make Bitcoin then, uh, the government's own digital currency, a little bit less attractive? You know, if you look overseas, so the the, 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 the the country which is furthest ahead on the central bank digital currency is China. They've already launched their CBDC. They're piloting it across 10 major cities. They've got people using it on their mobile phones. 
merchants accepting it. Um, and many people say, well, that's, um, you know, as soon as that comes in, then there's no space left for cryptocurrency. But as you correctly say, as soon as the government and the central bank have full visibility of your spend, and let's face it, they don't at the moment. You know, if you and I went and you gave me 20 pounds, there is no digital record of that. That's a physical note transaction, which is invisible to the nation state. And one thing that people are predicting is potentially things like cryptocurrency might become more appealing, as you say, you know, the idea that um, things become more controlled, more visible, more oversight means that the the, the, the potential of the benefits that something like a, a Bitcoin or similar could bring um, are suddenly more appealing and therefore could attract more people. So um, potentially seeing those second order effects, which you wouldn't necessarily predict in the first instance. Now, for this week's episode, we've also been chatting to Andrew Shirley, editor of Knight Frank's Wealth Report. Here he is on how they view NFTs and whether they can be judged as a legitimate form of investing. I mean, there's been so many different sort of art forms that people can invest in. And some of them have been quite controversial at, at the time. And when you take the new British artists like Tracy Ehrman and Damien Hurst at the time, a lot of people said, you know, what, what they were producing wasn't really investment grade, but it has stood the test of time. Their works of art are still um, very valuable. So we shouldn't write NFTs off just because they're this new um, technology-based kind of art. But what we have to be aware of is just the sheer volume of them that are being produced. Some of them are being produced in sort of limited editions of 20,000. Well, 20,000 is in, is not a limited edition. You know, if 19 other thousand people or whatever have bought, um, bought, bought something, it's chances of it being valuable in the future are very, very limited. So you've got to look, look for the provenance, perhaps look for the NFT artists who are genuine artists, who have a genuine story to sell and who are you know, releasing these things as genuine limited editions. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of people creating NFTs at the moment. It's not just people. Some of them are even created by computer algorithm. And I would say the vast majority of those NFTs won't, won't be worth anything at all in, in the future. So you really have to be very careful about what you're, what you're buying, just, just as with any investment. So let's touch then on how people can get clues up on whether crypto is the right investment for them and do their homework, as you say, because it's a breeding ground for scammers, isn't it? Taking advantage of people with little investment experience. So if anyone at home is considering getting into crypto, asking whether it's for them and and where to find trustworthy information, what would you suggest? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, a, a wide and varied appetite uh, in terms of how you take your information. So um, I think a dangerous thing mm-hmm. is when people just instantly gravitate to YouTube or um, some of the similar social platform and, and end up just going through a stream of links um, and taking it all from that. And, and that's certainly something to, to avoid. You know, you want to be making sure you read credible and trustworthy material, everything from the broadsheets to even academic journal papers, if that's the way mm-hmm. your persuasion takes you. Um, I would also say that um, if you do decide to invest, and this isn't obviously official investment advice, I'm not regulated to give such a thing, but um, I think actually keeping to the more mainstream uh, assets themselves, so the bigger assets, you mentioned things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, certainly mean that there's there's not zero chance of risk and loss, but certainly um, it, it will protect you against maybe an outright scam. Such such tokens are so big that they are well covered and well researched and well understood. So you're you're potentially taking less of a leap um, as compared to some of the say smaller cryptocurrencies. 
Um, the final thing then is is where you buy and sell such currencies. So you will normally have to go via an exchange. And again, big is beautiful. If you could trade mm-hmm. on the largest exchanges, the largest platforms, these are well understood, well researched platforms. Um, and if you get tempted to go to a, a smaller competitor, um, although they might be perfectly fine and very competitive in rates, you're potentially starting to open yourself up to um um, exposure to, to potential loss should that exchange cease to exist or even um, more risky to that actually suffer a hack on the exchange itself, which there have been many reported instances of that happening. And finally, can we touch on the environmental impact? Now, the Royal Mint hasn't said which platform it will use for its NFTs, but most seem to use Ethereum. So if we look at the amount of energy Ethereum uses, I've got figures here from the DigiConomist yesterday saying just one Ethereum transaction could power the average US home for a day and a year's worth of its total transactions could power Kazakhstan for a year, which is the ninth largest country in the world. And I'm sure you have so many more stats um, like this, Gavin. So we're talking about a big amount of energy here, aren't we? Um, Looking to the future, how much of an issue could this pose, both on the environment and the viability of crypto as a longer term investment? Yeah, I I think this is a this is a real area for concern and one that the industry tends to um, acknowledge and is trying to improve on. Uh, There are many um, improvements happening right now. So um, moving towards different um, methods known as proof of stake, etc., um, which enables uh, these platforms and currencies to use le- much less energy and therefore become more efficient. Um, it's also important to recognize that this is early stage um, uh, sort of technology, even today. Mm. You know, if I took you back, I always use the analogy of the Wright brothers, but if we went back mm. in time and we looked at that early stage flight, then clearly it was not fuel efficient, it was not safe, it was not economically viable, right. it didn't travel far enough. And that's kind of how our cryptocurrency is today. It doesn't do what we need it to do, but. Um, it can actually perform and we will likely see improvements in that environmental footprint over time. Um, You mentioned some of the stats around Ethereum there, Bitcoin, very similar. Um, Mm -hmm. The University of Cambridge has got a great um, real-time electricity consumption index for Bitcoin using between half a percent and one percent of all global electricity. So um, I expect to see improvements in that field um, Mm -hmm. and also expect to see that as those improvements come in, we are likely to see more adoption. So the likes of um, uh, Elon Musk um, and uh, uh, Tesla, who withdrew Mm -hmm from the the Bitcoin debate on the grounds of environmental sustainability might start to return to it um, should we see improvements in that that space. So uh, uh, hopefully, well, a negative at the moment for the industry, but certainly potentially one that might turn positive as those improvements come through. Thank you so much to Gavin for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. Now, before you head off, please do hit follow and subscribe to the show and leave us a a rating and review wherever you're listening. And for more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Charlotte Gifford. Thank you.